What's up? This is Ali Einhorn. Welcome back to the Talk House Podcast. Today I have for you, quote, a weird podcast, end quote. Now, <laughs> the man who has dubbed it such is one of our guests on today's show, Devendra Banhart. Devendra is in conversation with the one and only Tim Kinsella. Now, to intro today's episode, I have a very, very special guest, a one-time TalkHouse.com contributing editor, now the one and only associate editor, Annie Fell. Welcome to the show. Hello, here to make it weirder. Hey, there we go. Thank you for taking time out of your crazy day to join me. Now, you have been responsible for some of my favorite pieces on the site. Can you just give the listeners a quick shout out of some of your favorite pieces you've worked on over at TalkHouse? Because you've brought some very cool names through. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, some of my favorites have been Allison Wolf from Bratmobile reviewing Shannon and the Clan. Shouts. We had Kristen Hirsch from Throwing Muses reviewing Guided by Voices. Shouts. And Tracy Lords, incredibly talented actress, reviewing Moby. Shouts. <laughs> she really liked Moby, huh? She loves Moby. <laughs> Now, listeners, I'll tell you a little bit more about this series later, but Devendra and Tim came together for this talk because they have recently covered each other's work. Now, Annie, for people who have been living under rocks, tell us a little bit about Devendra's background. Yeah, so Devendra, along with people like Joanna Newsom, was a key figure in the freak folk movement. He is a very psychedelic artist. Yes, he's he is. worked with Beck and Oasis, but he's also a visual artist who's shown at major museums, and he released the book of his drawings and other visual work, and it's called I Left My Noodle on Ramen Street. <laughs> a fittingly psychedelic name for a mind like Devendra's. Now, one thing I also love about him is he's really switched his sound over the years. He's played around with indie, bossa nova, 50s pop, 60s psych rock, gospel, and so many other genres. Another artist that's really sort of restlessly switched things up through his career is Tim Kinsella. Tim was an early emo icon founding Captain Jazz. For me, growing up in Chicago, that was an iconic band. He went on to form Joan of Arc and found huge popularity with that, the make-believe, and he's also played with his brother, Mike Kinsella, who's also known as Owen, in his band, American Football. As with Devendra, Kinsella is a multi-hyphenate. He's published four books. He's a partner in Featherproof Books, the fantastic indie publisher out of Shy, and he's recorded with people like Angel Olsen, members of Wilco. I really think of this guy as a stalwart of Chicago's experimental scene. For sure. And uh, the two of them are actually coming together to celebrate the Joyful Noise Recordings newest release of their Cause and Effect series that's featuring both of them. This is a very cool series. What Joyful Noise does here is take an artist that they consider to be hugely influential a.k.a. The Cause, mm -hmm. and pair them with an artist who's been very inspired by that first artist, Pivotal Work. So The Effect. The Effect. The Effect. And uh, this has been a very cool series. It's definitely included a lot of my favorite artists. For sure, um, including Dale Crover covering Deerhoof. A member of the Melvins and Deerhoof covering each other's music. This is good shit. Incredible. And also Osmutantes and Yonatan Gat. Shouts. These are pressed as beautiful split-color vinyl seven-inch records. And in May, Devendra released his cover of Joan of Arc's Show and Told. So first, listeners, let's hear Joan of Arc's version and then Devendra's. Hermaphrodite stepfather 
Just pollinate on and don't bother the flowers My generous mother has set off to sail Genuflect, offer in faith and betrayal stuff huh very cool now annie by the time this podcast drops you will have just premiered joan of arc's cover of deventra's track yep joan of arc covered first song for b and we premiered it along with a short essay from tim about his friendship with banhart that's over on talkhouse.com listeners check out those two versions now we'll start with deventra's original i wanna see you be the one who's first like Harbors in the noonday And see you settling to yourself And never be afraid I think of this as a very Talkhouse-esque endeavor. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. <laughs> so Kinsella and Banhart sat down ostensibly to talk about this covers project. Annie, mm-hmm. they did not talk about it for long. They soon veered off into some very weird territory. They did, um, including mouse enemas. M- mouse enemas. We start with mouse enemas. Right out the gate. <laughs> we hear about the poems that came out of Devendra's, quote, ashram hopping in India. And other various spiritual quests. Yes. And the nuts and bolts and sort of play by play of what goes into their staying sane as highly productive working artists. That's the least weird thing they touch on. Right. Because they also make the case that to be the president of the United States, you should have to go through a mandatory hallucinatory experience. (laughs) Uh, Let's roll the tape. Let's do it. Tim kicks things off. Do you remember, I mean, I don't know if you remember, like, I don't know, eight, maybe 10 years ago before we really knew each other at all, you like called me once and you were like, can you get to LA tomorrow and you want to go to dinner at Neil Young's house with me? And we had only like met in passing and like talked a couple of times. I was like, this is insane. Do you remember I, that? Well, I also, when I saw you play, you did A Man Needs a Maid. And it's uh. not like, and everybody loves Neil, of course. But I was just trying yeah, to impress yeah. you, you know. I was trying to. <laughs> I needed to so bring yes. a hot date, you know. I was trying to. I was trying to make a good impression as well. It seems like kind of funny to interview you because we're friends and we just talk. Thing is, for me, the longer I have to think about a question, the more I'll regret my answer, and then. Uh-huh. But then I always regret that I didn't have time to think about the answer. It's a bit of a paradox. Uh, no matter what, it's going to be a dumb answer on my end. I either regret it all or just accept it and just have logorrhea, which, as we all know, is diarrhea of the mouth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's so there's really no choice. 
There's no right? choice. You can't live with you can't live with regret. Um, Pro choice. I will just say, speaking of logeria and enemas, I think our enema controversy is actually good for our friendship because it cleared the lingering uh, <laughs> tension I've always felt about how I owe you an old pappies. Yeah. Well, I, let me I, ask, let well, me ask well, you no, some No, I think questions. it's a great we'll starting like point. The fact that it's an odd conversation to begin with because you're my friend, you're my real friend. So this is a new experience right. and I'm open to it. And as en- enemas is a starting off point, <laughs> it was a bonding it item. It sounds so much... Can I tell this story? I mean, it sounds so much. Well, no. I, I, I'll tell <laughs> I'll, the story is that I started developing these tiny, tiny enemas for mice. <laughs> when I realized that my house was overrun with mice, but there wasn't any shit anywhere. And that really feels like there's something disorientating about that. And I was almost getting vertigo, seeing all the mice, but no shit, they must be eating my mochi. I think you say mochi, and which is um, probably constipating them. So I started making these tiny little mouse enemas, and they weren't working. And then Tim came over, and you can continue the story. <laughs> I don't know enough about enema development to. Uh, um, I do. I will say that I always wait for the moment in which you're going to be like, you know, Tim, I can't deal with you. Like I feel like. Uh, you're my friend, but you're also kind of a fairy godmother to me, you know? Like, you got us, like, so many new people are hearing a song I wrote, you know? Little things like that. I feel like it's, like, uh, exploitative. Oh, I mean, well, that, that exploitation uh, goes both ways, my friend. Thanks to you, I'm putting out my first book of poems, you know, that which I'm yeah. so grateful for. Tim's... Uh, and I think he has two other partners in a publishing house called Featherproof. Yeah. And uh, they're putting out this book of poems that I've been working on for quite some time. Yeah, how are the edits going? They're going okay. I think it's good to have a little bit of space from them and try to trick yourself into something like objectivity, which is pretty much impossible. But a little bit of time, try reading them at different times, see how, they, how uh, I can try to confront them as if I hadn't written them, which is, again, really impossible. But that space before publishing is really helpful. I think you're putting out your latest novel. Yeah, at the same time, yeah. Has this uh, process of writing the poems been a lot different for you than records or art? Yeah, no, it really, really has. It really, really, really has. It hasn't been as difficult as mouse animal development, which we discussed earlier on the program. (laughs) And you're just hearing the edited version. That was a um, four and a half hour talk uh, discussion about the <laughs> logistics and mechanics of bringing a little relief to the rodent community. But writing these <laughs> poems was, they're, they're kind of, as you know, broken because you're helping me edit it. They're broken down mm-hmm. into these different, I guess, categories of almost mm-hmm. jokey poems or, or yeah, jokier poems. <laughs> and then yeah. what I, think of as almost autobiographical poems and then well I wouldn't say yeah I suppose spiritual I suppose the spiritual element of, of, of my life and, and the and my introspective practice and all those things and those kinds of going I yeah, ashram actually, hopping in India and the poems that came out of that and that kind of thing 
But yeah, I actually. Oh, but I wanted to ask you what your novel was about, and you beat me to it. And we can come back to the poems. But what's your 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 latest novel about? Man, the novel. It's so funny. I thought I finished it November eighth, twenty sixteen, right around noon, and I was so happy because I'd been working on it for five years. And then Donald Trump got elected president that night, and everything had to change. So that changed the book so much because I started writing the book in about, I guess, 2012 or 13. I was like, oh my God, Jeb Bush is going to be the next president. And so the book is actually a history of the creation of the CIA mm. um, as a result of the Texas oil Saudi connection as told from the perspective of an invented Bush brother who is the dude from the Big Lebowski. And and it's that's set. real though. I mean, in terms of the 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 it's all the historical stuff is non-fiction. real. Non-fiction. I don't or what, what would you well, call it? Yeah. I made it I made it, you know, it's historical fiction I guess because I made it into it's like super surreal. I I you know, I always loved like those uh like the way the French New Wave could have like politics and romance, mm -hmm. like so seamlessly combined. You know, there's that um, memories of underdevelopment. For the record, I'm just going to pretend like I know what that is. <laughs> Battle of Algiers, you know, where it's like they shoot the film while through the real rebellion. So my book is, you know, this this guy who's like suffers incredible inbreeding because of the, his royal bloodline. Mm. So he like has a Habsburg lisp. Mm. Lip. And it's set in November 1988. And uh, he's the dude from the Big Lebowski and he's in a love triangle. But the whole time he's telling, accidentally telling the story of the Bush family. When he speaks out loud, he only says, duh, unga bunga. So that becomes like a kind of funny thing. Like some people just have normal conversations with him as if they understand everything he's saying. Yeah. That, Sounds weird when I describe it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. That's amazing. And it doesn't seem so far from some of the things you've done in the past. You've worked in this kind of taking a historical event and then continuing it in a kind of imagined way or putting yeah. fictional characters in these real scenarios or historical scenarios like you did with with cinema with Tulane Blacktop and you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very much like that kind of impulse. What's the name of the novel? Sunshine on an Open Tomb. Ooh, that's nice. Thanks. That's yeah, I feel nice. good about it. I think it's about done now. And I feel great about your book. I It's 88 poems. I have... When you sent me the whole batch, my first move was to like sequence them. Mm -hmm. So I sort of broke them down by categories. So the way I did it roughly was 18 are about like God or spirituality, seven about love, eight of them are just straight up funny, 19 are surreal, 13 are epistolary, seven are about places, and nine are self-reflexive. I don't know if that equals 88, but... That's how I was able to categorize them. I know that because that, you know, the worksheet for it is hanging on my wall. I live with a lot of giant post-its. Wow, that's amazing. I, I don't think I would have 
been able to identify the different categories. So thank you for even taking the time to read them and for helping me edit all of it. I had no, I just, yeah, I, I, to me it's just poem, poem, poem. And then over right, time right. they start well, to take I mean, these categories. Why, yeah, I mean, I think that's why an editor is helpful because they can see things, you know, so often you write and you're filling in the blanks between words of your own writing and you don't know you're doing it. So you need someone else to like see what's actually on the page, you know? Well, I have no idea how you actually write an entire novel. And you've written many. How, how, what number is this one? Uh, this would be book four. That's insane. Um, That's wild. I don't understand. I really don't. Well, do you have a similar <laughs> editing process with the records? Well, may, it, it's similar to, I think, the, the poems where you just try to accumulate as much material as possible. As many demos or as many, you know, stretch the poem out until it just collapses and then distill from there, I guess, and then try to reduce, reduce, mm -hmm. reduce. Do you get as few words as possible or the song feels as um, compact as possible? And do you, do you take breaks? I mean, do you write stuff every day? Well, I don't know. I think it is a daily practice, you know, because there isn't this... It's not so com compartmental. Oh, maybe it is compartmentalized, but part of the discipline, which all art is, is to to practice every day. And mm -hmm. when you are forcing it, that's a dangerous place. But if you're doing, if you contribute, if you're just putting a drop in the bucket daily, that's not too much effort, and and it keeps things moving along. So if you just can write a line a day, or actually just take a moment and play your instrument or something new. Or something that is is you know in the service of the project, which may be either you know write a book or um, could be an album, yeah. etc. Generally speaking, the thing we need to be doing is typically the thing we want to do the least. Right. And so sometimes something like practicing or forcing yourself to work falls into that category. But then once you start. Do you do you push yourself through those moments, or do you like just say uh, today's not the day for that? No, 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 not really. You, I think it's so minimal the the doing mm -hmm. one little thing a day for your work that it's very, very, very hard to uh, to really brush that aside. I mean, it can take it could be five minutes of your day. Right. That's not the most productive day, but at least you did something. I switch gears. Like there's a way in which I switch gears eight times a day, and I that drives me a little bit nuts. But I also switch bigger gears. Like this week, I'm looking at your book. Next week, I'm looking at my book. Next week, I'm mixing this record. Next week, I'm doing this. And that time away like keeps the same sensibility sharp, but then gives mm. me a clear perspective on the various projects. You know? Yeah. Like at this point, I haven't looked at your book in three weeks, so that when you send me back the revisions, I'll have like a, you know, I could see it with clearer eyes. Yeah. Well, I mean, also we're very fortunate. We do. We are doing the things that we love to do, and for yeah. us, maybe a vacation means having space to do our work. I mean, kind of does feel that right. way for me. I kind of want to finish all the things I need to do so I can get to work, which is the relief of the day, the fun part of the day. So it's it is a really I don't understand I don't know what it is actually to just put everything aside. You do your admin first each day. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, and I don't, yeah. I don't check email after like noon. Right. I guess I do remember like staying in the spare room, and I'd like wake up, and you were always checking your email, and that that always struck me because I don't look at my email till later in the day. Oh, interesting. Like, as soon as I get sucked into admin, I feel like my creative mind is spent. So I'm like, uh, I have such intense daily routines, like not intense, like. Uh, I just mean I I get really, you know, because I guess I'm like self employed well, or whatever. Can you run me a daily routine? Uh, I mean, I first thing is running six days a week. One day a week I don't because I go to my therapist instead. I get a shot of espresso at the place. I talk to the baristas a little bit. Go to the gym, run in place, and then I need like three hours of just like silent time or like headphones with specific minimalist records so I can concentrate. It's like once the creative lifting is done, usually like three hours, then it's then I switch gears to like all the admin stuff. Mm. Which, you know, often involves like rehearsals and playing music with people and stuff. At night, there's a lot of playing music with people and that's like productive, but also very fun for me. What uh, is like your to-do list for today? Today I worked on my novel for, I don't know, maybe three hours, just like these small line edits. And then I went to my therapist and I ate a cheeseburger. Then I started to do this email interview and then was like, like, I just saw my therapist and I'm talking to you. Like, how many questions can I answer today? (laughs) Back to the thing you're saying, you, today you went for a run, correct? No, no, today's my don't run day because I see my therapist. I see, I see. The thing about running I'm obsessed with isn't physical. I didn't start running until I was like 38. I've always been a big fan of intentional programming, you know? Mm -hmm. I used to like, or intentional reprogramming in my mind. And I never had the discipline for religion as much as loved drugs. But now running is just like the way to do it for me, you know? Mm. Wow, yeah, you, you, no, that makes you, a lot of sense, yeah. You mm. you have a daily spiritual discipline that you're comfortable talking about? Sure, yeah. The first thing I do in the morning is I sit for an hour and then I do these kinds of, uh, I don't know, I guess some form of bhakti yoga, like kind of prayer and different yoga positions is the best way of kind of explaining it after meditating. And then I meditate for a full hour before that. Yeah. And then I read a few passages from, you know, either Ramana Maharshi or Yogananda or or Ramakrishna or someone like that and Vivekananda. And then then it's coffee and and the news and the the headlines of the day that are and is that uh, getting more and more insane. Yeah, yeah. And is that something you've always done? I've been in, that's been the ritual for a long time. Yeah, quite a few years. It was only a few years ago that I was initiated into the type of meditative practice that, I, that I've done every single day. Um, that's Scientology for the listeners. At home. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Duh. I mean, I don't think you even have to say that. <laughs> LRH. And, um, before that, I think it was just things that I could do on tour that were that, that I can how to create your own little space amidst constantly yeah, yeah. moving around or being in a different 
room yeah, every yeah. single night, you know, and so. Right, being the center of attention oh, yeah, for exactly. an hour a day, never being alone for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Are you able to keep up the disciplines on tour? Yeah, oh yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. But that's why I couldn't, I can't like ever tour on a, in a bus, I don't think, because it'd be very difficult to find a place to meditate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's too intimate, the, those quarters. I would, uh, I yeah, would yeah. imagine I would have to like tell people to, Please give me an hour in this. Ba- I mean, I guess you could work it out, but it's much easier to just stay in a right. hotel I mean, and travel through it with a van. That's the thing about intimacy of any kind is then you're like letting people in on exactly how weird you are. I mean, oh, everyone yeah. is so weird when you get to know them. I and know it's, it's so like, true. It's kind of like when you go to yeah, yeah. I know. I definitely understand that, and um, I, I I struggle with that because I pray I, after I meditate. I I also it's. Prayer, it's a kind of prayer, let's say. It's like this kind of just, sure. uh, let's call it an expression of gratitude that's with a series mm-hmm. of postures and words. And so I do that twice a day and I try to do it in the, my backyard mm-hmm. and, it, and, and I do it outside and I do it in a, in a kind of a corner where it's under a tree and it isn't, it's not like I'm doing it on the middle of the street or anything, but my neighbors, both neighbors can see me if they are in the right position. Mm-hmm. And I hear them sometimes, and I must look crazy to them when I'm when I become aware that they're kind of around and they can probably see me. Do you know them? Yeah, and we've never spoken about it, and it's possible that they've never actually seen me. It's just in my mind, right? But a part of me, you know, maybe if I if I yeah. need to let go too, how deep is my devotion that I can just I can right. tune out the whole world and and even the fact that people are looking, this is a bit greater expression of gratitude because, you know, I'm including everyone in it, you know, in this weird yeah, way. Yeah. And right, not not being bashful about it. I remember my friend Bink uh, was in India. He goes every year, and <clears throat> when he got back. Last year, a couple of years ago, uh, and I was like, "Oh, you know, how was it? You know, what, what are you, what's it like every day there?" And he's like, "You know, I'd wake up, I'd walk down to the river and sing." And I'm like, "What? What do you mean? <laughs> you walk down the river and sing?" He's like, "I don't know, man. I've never done it before, but I'd just wake up and walk down to the river and sing." And I was like, "You'd sing loudly?" He's like, "Oh yeah." I'm like, "There are people around?" He's like, "Yeah." I mean, I couldn't help it. I felt so good. I just what was he, I want to know what he was singing though. Uh, I mean, he's a he's a devout guy, um, Krishna, I guess. Um, no, I'm I'm yeah, I'm just imagining that he's like singing like a Spice Girl song or something like that. Like, yeah. you know, the idea of like, okay, well, sure, I'll just try it in my my own way. Whatever these people are singing. That's actually very much a uh, a theme of one, if not two, of your poems, like the shock of being in India and being confronted with like American or Western pop culture. Have you it's you true. <laughs> it was a shock. Yeah. Have you have you been there or played there? No, I've never been there. Have you played there? I just assumed you were just traveling. I, yeah, I was. I haven't played there, but uh I do know a band that played there. They said it was really, really interesting. Really interesting. I think we should do a tour. Let's do a tour of India. You know, it's never occurred to me like I'm a little intimidated by like how intense I think it is, just from my friends who've gone. 
And uh, I think whatever you are imagining as intense, uh, and I'm sure they've said this to you, it's that you know times a million, and and that, and nothing right. can prepare you for it. I would say nothing right. can could have prepared me for it. But yeah. you're open to it, so it's happening. What do you think next week? I, yeah, <laughs> I was. I would go if it was me and you doing a tour over there. Okay, I'll get on. Because then I'll I could just. Yeah, you're talking about being in India and how uncomfortable it is. But it's like the spiritual payoff is so intense. It's just sort of like, I mean, you know, the best analogy I have is just like intense psychedelics. But it's like, you're like, oh God, when will this end? And that's, I mean, even like a turbulent flight, the number of mm. people on it will start praying. You know, it's it's like, it's it's this like distress that causes us, you know, there would be no phrase growing pains if it wasn't like, yeah. if it didn't take... Some kind of suffering to provoke, you know, because you got to get out of it. Like, what choice do you have? Right, and and psychedelics can be a really amazing uh, kind of catalyst to be more interested yep. in the inner world and in the workings of your own mind. And being a, a psychonaut is like a, such a wonderful adventure. But mm-hmm. my at this point for me, even though I really do think that so many. Um, mind expanding and heart expanding drugs are something that everyone should probably do at least once. For mm-hmm. me, it's like you can either kind of hang out in the in this room, or you can just stay there. And kind of spirituality is the thing that kind of you can just kind of sit right. in that place of peace. I mean, the kind of at least that's for me. The whole point of it is just to just find some some peace. And to find right. did you have a uh, rebellious teenage phase where you rejected all that? Oh yeah, totally, totally. I'm sure. I think you did too. And I think yeah, but it was you know it was Catholic, so it's like um, I will say that like there's a way that because I was raised around Catholicism, there's a way in which people can talk about Catholicism with some sort of depth or mystery that like really brings it to life to me in a certain way. Mm. But I think it's just because it taps into like this thing from my past, but it's so loaded, it's so problematic with politics and abuse and all that it's tough to like, I could never like submit to Catholicism again, you know? Yeah, I mean, I feel that with every religion, like I I really don't subscribe to any single religion and, and really couldn't can't really stomach the hypocrisy of it but the beauty of what the main teachers of these religions said it's all the same and it's incredibly beautiful right and it's insane that you know for example muslims jews and christians are all worshiping the same god and they're killing each other i mean I, this is a weird podcast is going in a weird direction but it is totally madness to me and I mean, Most the of them are all saying, love thy neighbor and, and love thy enemy. I mean, fuck. Yeah. Okay, but now let's talk about music and... No, hold on. No, I got a question about this. <laughs> um, back to enemas. I can't even tell you what like shocking thing Trump did 10 days ago, let alone three months ago. Like everything happens so fast. You know, yeah. we're just like bombarded. So like... I don't know. I mean, maybe it's like uh, we're talking about India and the intensity of psychedelics. It's like it's well, so overwhelming. You know, if you could dose anyone 
it would he would be an incredible candidate. Trump? Yeah. I mean, that would be really amazing if you can just if you could if that would be a beautiful way of 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 um I suppose uh, 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 you know, <laughs> you know. I guess uh, what would it be? Uh, uh, it would be this. I mean, I would. Uh, the fallout is terrifying. <laughs> but it, but also, but in a way, you know, it's not. There's certainly worse things, and 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 I think yeah. it could probably lead to a moment of of ego I mean, death I, for a brief, brief second, and for a second, they might be able to see beyond the pain that they seem to constantly live in. It seems like yeah. a, that would be a pretty strategic way of, of I think, um, of getting through. I uh, think it's, it, it makes a good argument for mandatory, mandatory hallucinogenic experiences. Like everyone's 18th birthday. Yeah. Oh my God. No, but you, t- like, I think for the president, that should be to be to be president of the United States. You should have mandatory hallucinatory experience. It probably is a hallucinatory experience when they explain to you, okay, you want to know what's really going on? You're right, maybe. But, yeah, but I think yeah. it's certainly not being very effective with him in terms of it being an experience sure. of ego dissolu- uh, dissolving it's cer- and, and certainly melding with the ocean yeah. of consciousness that is the entire yeah. network of, of, of life around you. So, yeah. so, so this is right. a beautiful way in a way to start... Because ra- ra- we can... Well, it's weird. We're having a conversation on a microphone, but I could talk to you about this for a long, long time. And I apologize because I'm not totally myself because I know there's a microphone here, but I love you so much and I do want to continue to talk about this. But it'd be a great, this is a good way to kind of wrap this down. And sure. I would like to say I mean, that I uh-huh. think, tell me if you agree with me, all future presidents, if if that's even going to be a thing after this guy, Right. Uh, should have mandatory uh, mandatory hallucinatory experience w- with a, a you know some sort of mind expanding or heart expanding substance. They should also go hungry for a day. They should mm-hmm. they should have to have one day of, uh, just one day of fasting to see what it's like right. to actually be hungry. Even knowing that you're going to eat the next day would like soften the blow. But you're right. It would soften the blow, and they probably would have to eat the next day. But just to have that moment, just that experience, yeah. I doubt any of these people have had to go hungry for a single day. Yeah. Um, that, even in itself, those two things would probably reduce so much suffering on this motherfucking. And I will choose to wrap it up then by saying that, like, the power in in my mind of like the Me Too movement and all these. Monsters being called out is like really, I think, the frustration people have with feeling powerless to these giant systems of oppression. And so we're just sort of like people are taking control where they can, you know, localizing control in that way. So if we can't dose the president, we need to at least dose our friends. (laughs) Oh, amen. Seems like a good way to land it. I think so. I think so. That was all right. But I want to say mm-hmm. this. Tim, I love mm-hmm. you. Oh, I love you too, man. <laughs> I imagine we're going to talk very soon about edits. Yes, I'll get on that today, boss. I'm so sorry. So sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
not only are they going to speak soon, but they actually stayed on that call for quite a while discussing the minutia of some future edits. This is a very collaborative duo. Yep, and don't forget to head over to TalkHouse.com and check out Tim's cover of Devendra and read his words about their friendship. Today's talk was recorded by its participants, Tim Kinsella and Devendra Banhart. The intro was recorded and the episode co-produced by Mark Yoshizumi. Thanks to Hook and Fade Studio in Brooklyn for having us. And for all behind-the-scenes content, be sure to check out TalkHouse on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can head over to our YouTube channel for full video episodes recorded live at the Sonos store in Manhattan. Till next week, I'm Ellie Einhorn. And I'm Annie Fell. Peace. See ya. You should, you know, if you could just insert the music questions and make it seem like those are our answers to the music questions, great. (laughs) 